Morning, everyone. My name's Jen, if I haven't met you already, and I'll be reading from the Bible this morning. So today's passage is from Matthew chapter 14, and the first reading is from verses 1 to 21. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. Good morning, everyone. My name's Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church, Baraka. Really good to be with you this morning. Um, I want to start off by making a comparison. This is a comparison that a lot of you, uh, maybe you won't find too amusing, but... um, There's a big difference, have you noticed, between politicians in Australia and the United States? There really is. Think about the last three presidents in the United States and the big promises they've made. So you had uh, uh, Barack Obama. He said, yes, we can. You know, there's, there's these big challenges ahead of us and some people don't think we can rise and above and achieve. But I say, yes, we can. And the people got on board and they voted him in. Uh, then Donald Trump came along and he said, what we need to do is make America great again. You know, we haven't been doing so well in lots of areas, but what you need to do, you vote for me, I'll turn things around and I'll make America great again. And, and the, then, then most recently we've had uh, Joe Biden who talked about a battle for the soul of the nation. You know, stuff has gone pretty dark under Trump. Our nation is divided, but vote for me and I will help win back the soul of our nation, get us back on track. These are big leaders, big personalities, big promises, right? It's not like that in Australia. Um, 
we tend to, I don't know, set our sights a bit lower, perhaps. Mostly our politicians just say, hey, I'm going to do better than that guy. So think about our current Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese. His whole campaign, it was, it was basically, guess what, everyone? I'm not Scott Morrison, so why don't you vote for me? Uh, you see, we tend to be sceptical of leaders in our country who promise lots. We've seen leaders fail in the past. So why would you put your faith in? Why would you put a whole lot of stock in these leaders? They're not really worth following, are they? But that raises a whole, whole question then of, of, of who is the kind of leader that you could follow? Who'd be the kind of person that you could really get behind, who you'd gladly throw your lot in with? Today at church, we're, we're going to um, start back in the book of Matthew. It's, uh, Matthew's a biography of Jesus' life. It's written by a guy who was there with Jesus. He followed Jesus around while he was on earth. The guy's name is Matthew. He wrote this book. Um, And over the past few years, we've been going through Matthew's book bit by bit. Uh, And this term, we're going to make our way through uh, chapters 14 to 21. And I've called this series, you can see it there, I've called this series Jesus Revealed. Because as we go through this series, we're going to see a whole lot more of who Jesus is, of his character and his identity, what he's passionate about, what his purpose is. And today we're in Matthew and we start off by asking, and Matthew's kind of prodding us to, to think about this question, what kind of leader is worth following? So we start, I wonder what you think about that. What kind of leader would you be ready to follow? Let's have a look what Matthew says then. Uh, Matthew begins chapter 14. We, we don't look at Jesus. We look at another leader. We, 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 we meet Herod at the start of Matthew 14. Now. Uh, back when Jesus was around, there was a few people who had the name Herod. You've probably heard it a number of times. Um, probably the Herod that m- most comes to mind is uh, the guy who was the king when Jesus was born. That guy was known as Herod the Great. Uh, here in Matthew 14, that's not him, right? That, that Herod the Great, he died when Jesus was very young. Um, but this is his son. His name is Herod Antipas or Herod the Tetrarch. Uh, when his dad died, Herod Antipas was given a smaller region to rule. If you, if you look at the darker areas on that map, that, that's where uh, Herod Antipas ruled. It's around the, the area of Galilee and Perea. And Jesus, doing a whole lot of his area around Galilee, was in Herod's, uh, 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 Herod's area. Now, it's this Herod that had John the Baptist arrested. We saw this in verse 3. John had been criticizing Herod in public because Herod had married his sister-in-law, and that was against Jewish law at the time. So John speaks against Herod, and Herod acts like a really good tyrant. He arrests John, and in fact, he wants to kill John, but he won't do it because he knows the people like John, and he wants to keep the people on side. He's a a real politician, this guy. Anyhow, one day it's it's Herod's birthday, and he throws the big party, and I mean, you can use your imagination and think, what's this going to be like? You know, the... Food there is going to be plentiful. There's probably plenty of booze and plenty of blokes around. And into this party, Herod's stepdaughter comes in. Uh, She's called a a girl in verse 11, probably meaning she's in her teenage years. And she dances for the men. And they like her, Herod especially. Kind of makes you wonder, what, what kind of dance is she doing here? And Perhaps you can imagine how those half-drunk men are reacting to this girl. And it seems like Herod, actually, he's probably pretty full of alcohol too at this point because he makes a very careless promise. 
it's, it's nearly like he wants to show off to the people that are there. So he says to, to this girl, his, 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 his stepdaughter, whatever you want, you just ask for it. Look, I'll give it to you. We're really happy. We're thrilled with you. Just, just ask and it's yours. And you can imagine the cheers going up around. Yay, good one, Herod. The girl turns to her mum. Her mum prompts her for what she's wanted all along. And this is where things take the grisly turn. In verse 8, the girl says, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. At this point, you've got to think that Herod realizes he has been a fool. Why did I make such a stupid, rash promise? But rather than deny her, rather than, than, than do what's right, it's as if Herod thinks to himself, I, I can't say no. I'll look stupid in front of all my mates. So, verse 9, the king was distressed, but because of his oath and his dinner guest, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in prison. A man executed without trial, all because Herod was worried how it would look in front of his buddies if he said no. What kind of leader is Herod? I mean, clearly he's a powerful man, but is this the kind of guy you could really get behind? Is this the kind of leader that you could trust, that you'd want to follow? Well, then Matthew turns our attention back to Jesus. Uh, Jesus hears what has happened to John, and so he wants some time alone, time to grieve, because you might remember uh, 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 Jesus and John are related, possibly second cousins or something like that. So Jesus, uh, he gets his disciples, and they head off, it says in verse 13, to a solitary place. This is like a deserty area, somewhere out in the wilderness where there's no one there, they can be alone. Only thing is, the crowds follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus and his disciples, they get on the boat, and the crowds are on the shore, and it's like they, they keep track of where the boat is heading, and they follow it along around the shoreline. And so when the boat makes it to shore, well, it's not a solitary, lonely place anymore. The crowds are there, and they want more of Jesus. Try putting yourself in Jesus' shoes here for a moment. It's been a busy year already. One of your relatives has just died unexpectedly, unfairly. You need a break. You don't have a chance to grieve. and So you book a weekend away, but when you get there, the crowds of people are there too. What would you do if you were Jesus? Honestly, if it was me, I think I'd, I'd just say, guys, can you just go away? <laughs> Let me be for a bit, please. But look at what Jesus does. It's verse 14. I think this is just so beautiful. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. See, Jesus doesn't think of the rest that he needs. He, he doesn't think of his, his, his desire to, to grieve privately here. Jesus doesn't think of himself at all, does he? He's, his heart goes out to the people. He's, he's moved by the plight of them, by, 
by those who are afflicted, by those who are ill. Jesus' heart here, even in this moment of his desperate need, his heart is for others. Incredible. So he stays with them and he heals the sick amongst them. What kind of leader is this one? And for Jesus, this is not a quick thing either. It's not, oh, I'll just spend 30 minutes with them and then we'll move along. Uh, he spends the whole day with these people. So much so, the sun is starting to go down. The disciples start to realize, oh, hang on, we need to send these people away. They need to go back home. It's getting late. There's no food out here for them. It's, it's, quite a very, it's actually a very practical idea, isn't it? It's even a, a thoughtful thing to do. But when they come to Jesus and tell him their plan, Jesus says, no. Look at verse 16. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. They look around each other and, well, what are we supposed to do? Jesus, we haven't got much here, just a couple of fish and five loaves of bread. So Jesus takes these and from these things, he feeds the whole crowd here. It's a miracle. But the miracle is not that the people's stomachs end up being filled on tiny, minuscule crumbs of bread. The miracle is that the food just kept coming and coming and coming. So there were 5,000 men there that day. And on top of that, women and children too. And Jesus provided abundantly for all of them. You know those times when you're at a, um, a big gathering of people, you know, like a family get-together or that sort of thing? And you know, that comes to mealtime and everyone's got to line up and go past and get food on their plate. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, there's, there's, there's an, there's an, when it comes to this time, there's an art to it. Because you know, if you go first, you're guaranteed a meal. But you can't pile up your plate too highly because you know, there's a line of people behind you. You don't want the people at the back to miss out. So you can put some stuff on there. But if you go at the back, when you get there, you can pile your plate as high as you want. Like No one's behind you. But the problem is you're always running a risk because if you start at the back of the line, it could be that you get there and, well, the best things are not there anymore. Perhaps even there's no food at all. On this day with Jesus, it didn't matter where you were in the line. Everyone had enough. But there was, there was an abundance of food that Jesus provided. Twelve baskets full of leftovers. See here, Jesus didn't send the crowd away. He cared for them. He put their needs ahead of his own. And he provided for them with immense, immense generosity. What kind of leader is this one? You see, Jesus and Herod, Matthew puts Jesus and Herod side by side here. Two leaders, two very different leaders, and, and you can't help but compare them. One of them is a party boy show-off who gives orders to kill someone else just so he doesn't look bad in front of his buddies. The other one puts the needs of others before himself, provides in abundance for a crowd of people who've invaded his private space. Matthew's put these two leaders side by side for us to compare, and you can't help but see 
One of these leaders is awful. The other is very good. In 1979, Bob Dylan wrote a song called Gotta Serve Somebody. It was quite a hit. It won some big awards. Um, Famously, this was the chorus he sung. Uh, You're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. It was a big song at the time. Um, In some ways, it's still pretty famous today. A lot of people remember it. But it was not universally loved. Um, in fact, John Lennon, you know the, the, the Beatles, the guy from the Beatles, John Lennon, right? He, he didn't like this song at all. He criticised it and he even wrote a song in response called Serve Yourself, where he sang, you've got to serve yourself. Ain't nobody going to do it for you. You've got to serve yourself. Ain't nobody going to do it for you. In some ways, the, the, the two songs, they're very different, right? But actually. The song that John Lennon wrote, it it proves the point of Bob Dylan. Everyone has to serve someone. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, it might even be yourself, but everyone serves somebody. In the same vein, it's true that we all follow somebody. We don't all follow the same leader, but, but we do follow somebody. That's why you see people getting caught up in dangerous cults, you know, these charismatic leaders that are really flawed and just exploit people and and, and drag them in. Why do people get caught up in that? Is that because there's some people who who are just, you know, suckers? The rest of us realize what a con ass they are, but there's some people who are just so desperate they'll try anything? I don't think so. I I think it's actually, it's more that we're all looking for, for leaders. We're all looking for the right leader, someone we can truly get behind. It's just sad that some of us get duped by people who, who aren't good leaders at all. But I reckon we are looking. We're all looking for the right person to follow. You know, it might be your, your boss at work whose approval you, you seek. It, it might be some kind of social media influencer who you just want to be like them. It might be a mentor or a hero, someone that you look up to. It might even just be that, you follow the culture and norms of the day that our society says do this and so you do. It might even be yourself. But you are your own person. You follow your own lead. You beat you march to the beat of your own drum. But but we all follow someone. For each of us, there's someone we look to for for advice, to listen to them, to, to, to perhaps even strive to be like them. Some of these leaders might require a, a lot from us. Some of them might require very little. But the question is not, do you follow someone? And the question is, who do you follow? And are they worth it? Is, it? is this person, is this thing, is it the right thing to truly get behind? Is it going to be good for you to follow them? Jesus is... Really impressive in these verses, isn't he? He does so much good. He, he puts the needs of others before himself time and again. He, he, he provides and gives in abundance. And that's the kind of character we keep seeing of Jesus. If you ever needed convincing of, of, of Jesus and how good he is, remember the cross. Remember where Jesus put us before himself again. 
He put our needs before his comfort and he gives his life for it. Isn't this the kind of leader that you really can get behind, that you can trust, that you can live for? But there's something more about Jesus too. I'm going to get Jen to come back up. She's going to read the rest of Matthew 14. Come on up, Jen. Um, and take a look at what Jesus does next. It, seems, it's, it, it just adds so much to what we see. Thanks, Jen. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. It's a pretty spectacular passage. Uh, Jesus does something that we've, all, we've probably all heard of before. He walks on water here. It's quite phenomenal if you think about what's going on, right? But there's more to this than just another miracle. More to this than just another display of Jesus' power. Think for a moment what we've seen Jesus do in Matthew chapter 14. He was in a solitary place, in the wilderness, in the desert. And there he miraculously fed people with bread. And then after that, he shows, you know, with, the, with the boat being out in the water, he shows that he has power and control over the water, over the seas. Please stop and ask, who does that remind you of? If you were a Jewish person living around the time of Jesus, you would know your Old Testament from cover to cover. And there's only one other person who does this. It's the Lord God himself. Uh, back at the time of Exodus, the 1,500 years before Jesus, God brought his people up out of Egypt where they were slaves. God rescued them from being slaves in Egypt. But there was a problem. When they came up out of Egypt, they ended up right in front of a sea. There was nowhere to go. But God stepped in. God controlled the waters and brought a great wind. He parted the sea and the people went through. God controlled the waters. So the people get to the other side. But on the other side, there's another problem here. Well, now they're in the desert. What are they going to do for food? So God miraculously provides them, sent manna from heaven, bread that tasted like honey for them to eat. It's almost as if Matthew is kind of nudging us in the ribs saying, do you see who Jesus is here? 
This is a guy who's more than just a good leader. And Matthew keeps going on as well. Uh, you know, Jesus, he walks on the water and the stuff with Peter happens. Then in verse 32, Jesus gets back in the boat. But look at verse 33 with me. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus has done a miracle with water. Back in chapter 8, the disciples and Jesus were on a boat. A storm blew up. And, and, and the disciples, who were seasoned fishermen, many of them, uh, they thought, we're going to drown. This is it for us. But Jesus calmed the storm, he sees. And do you remember what the disciples said? In chapter 8, verse 27, it says, The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. In chapter 8, they got no idea what's going on here. It's, it's, it's incredible to them. But here in chapter 14, they don't ask questions anymore, do they? It's starting to dawn on them who it is before them. So they worship Jesus. Which if you're a Jew at that time, it's unthinkable that you would worship anyone but God. And they say, they don't ask questions. They say to him, truly, you are the son of God. It's starting to dawn on them who this is in front of them. Now, we'll see in the coming weeks that they haven't fully grasped Jesus yet. There's, there's more to, to, to fill in their understanding. But Matthew includes this here to show us. It's like he's saying, guys, look what happened. Can you see who this man is? A leader and a very good one. One who's, who, who really is worth following. But there's more. This, this man is, is more than a man. What we've got here is God in the flesh. Incredible. And so, at the end of the chapter, we're forced to ask ourselves, who could possibly be someone more worth following than this guy, than Jesus? Who could possibly be a better leader than the guy we've seen here? My 21st century instinctive response is to want to say, me, I know what's good for me. I can trust myself. Let me follow me. The more I think about it, the more I see my own limitations i i think i know what's good for me right here and now but who really knows if it is because i'm so limited right there is so much about the world i just don't know and there is so much about the future that i don't know but jesus does he knows we saw in herod a leader who was powerful but not good, not good at all. But here in Jesus is a leader who is powerful, but is also good, who works for our good. Is there anyone better to follow than him? And so what do we do when we walk away today? Well, we've again seen, friends, the goodness of Jesus, of belonging to him, 
of following him. We've seen the one that we've seen that he is the one we can entrust ourselves to. And we can trust ourselves to Jesus even when life is hard. Jesus doesn't promise that life is easy if you follow him. But but when life is hard, and even when following Jesus means sacrifices, we can be confident, friends, that he is for our good. We can know he's for us. And in those moments of doubt, again, we need to look back to passages like this. We need to look back to the cross and be convinced, again, Jesus is for our good. A good leader. But more than that, he's God. God himself. Isn't Jesus the kind of person you really can get behind? Let me pray for us. God in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he's not like Herod. He doesn't use his power for his own sake. But he uses his power for good, for our sake. So help us to follow him. Help us to constantly be reminded of his goodness for us. Help us to trust him. And we pray that this would be pleasing to you, our Lord and our God, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.